Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking to Dr. William Wilson. Billy's the fourth president of the globally recognized Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. With over four decades of executive leadership, Billy's a global influencer and a dynamic speaker with a profound ability to equip new generations of leaders. He's also the author of several books, including his latest, The Power of One, Reaching Every Person on Earth. Before we talk to Billy, we want to remind you that if you find our conversations today helpful, we love it if you left us a review. We especially ask if you listen to us on Spotify to leave us a review there. That's going to help us expand our presence on that platform. Now, first, let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of the Talbot School of Theology. Well, good, good, good. And we're happy to have, uh, I don't know, Daniel, you haven't met Billy Wilson, but happy to have this conversation because Billy and I are friends for for a while. And we just got back from Amsterdam um, a month or so ago at the time of this recording. And so we at the Amsterdam gathering, Amsterdam 2023, it was the talk about the power of one. They actually released his book, The Power of One, Reaching Every Person on Earth. And the focus, the reason this meeting was in Amsterdam, among the reasons, was that 40 years prior, uh, Billy Graham had gathered, you know, evangelical uh, evangelists to talk about sharing the gospel around the world. So Billy's book was released. I actually had the privilege of of uh, speaking at Amsterdam and encouraging people there as well. So we're going to talk about the book. Again, it's The Power of One. I want to talk a little bit about the power, and then I want to talk about the power of one. Because, I mean, when we were there in Amsterdam, I actually wrote an article, we'll put it in the show notes, a series of two articles on why Pentecostals are growing, why Pentecostalism is growing, and it got a lot of response. I think a lot of Pentecostals shared it because I think they probably liked that I was saying why Pentecostals are growing, but also a lot of people asked questions and more. So the meeting there was sponsored by Empower 21, which is a gathering of spirit-filled Christians. We need some definitions of words though, Billy. Help us understand a little bit for you know the Presbyterians who are listening and the non-denominational people are listening. Uh, what's a Pentecostal? Uh, what, what's a spirit-filled Christian? How do those things relate? And then we're going to get to how why it matters for evangelism. Yeah, well, Ed, you'll hear me use the term spirit-empowered quite a bit. Again, Empowered 21 serves the spirit-empowered network. Here at Oral Roberts University, we sort of see that as our core constituency as well. It's an umbrella term that includes Pentecostals and Charismatics. Uh, sociologists, church sociologists look at probably four waves of the work of the Holy Spirit from Azusa Street, uh, historic Pentecostals, the charismatic movement in the 60s, and then neo-Pentecostals, neo-charismatics sort of in the 1980s, 1990s, up until today, new expressions of the work of the Holy Spirit, new networks of people's gathering, new churches that are being raised up around the world. Uh, you know, Spirit-empowered Christianity is really focused on a relationship with Jesus that is a dynamic relationship through the immediate presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Pentecostals, Charismatics believe that God still does today what we read about Him doing in the book of Acts, and that we can uh, see those same things happen in today's ministry and in our lives and that we have God's immediate presence in our life through the fullness of the Holy Spirit every day. Fruit of the Spirit, yes, 
but also the gifts of the Spirit. That not only can we have the personality of Jesus, but we can see what Jesus did in his day, done in our day, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so some, now I, I think like the Presbyterians and the and the Baptists and the Methodists all listening, non-denomination people would all, I think, agree with everything you said about the power of the Holy Spirit, but there are some distinct differences and practices. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, initial physical evidence, certainly not everyone in the spiritual movement would refer to initial as the initial physical evidence, right. but that is you know very commonly held, certainly among Pentecostals, it would be universally held. So um, so what? where does the baptism of the Holy Spirit fit in and explain yeah. a little bit about what that is and why it matters in the Spirit-filled Yeah, movement. I think, uh, you know, Spirit-empowered Christians would believe in a subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit after conversion, uh, Ed, that uh, we're born of the Spirit, yes, but then there's a fullness of the Spirit that we can live in. Uh, some historic Pentecostals believed to be sanctified, and then there'd be a third work of the Holy Spirit. This is what was taught at the Azusa Street Revival over 100 years ago. But others believe you're you're saved, you're born again, and then you are filled with the Holy Spirit in a personal experience that's subsequent uh, to your salvation experience. Many Pentecostals believe that that's accompanied by the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Uh, charismatics, um, those are diverging views around that, but almost all uh, Pentecostals and Charismatics believe in personal tongues, uh, speaking in tongues, prayer language, devotional tongues, however they put it. The, we believe that uh, an individual can communicate with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in an unknown language. Glossolalia is sort of the uh, technical term. This is speaking in an unknown tongue. Uh, what happened on the day of Pentecost was unique. It's called Xenolalia. People spoke in known tongues and people heard in their own language uh, glorifying of God. But then the Apostle Paul says, you know, when I pray or uh, speak in tongues, I don't understand. It's unknown. Uh, it's a mystery. Only God understands me. And my understanding is unfruitful, he would say. And so we would call this unknown tongues, glossolalia. And we believe it's for devotional language. It's for communication with God. And it elevates. Uh, Paul says when we pray in tongues, when we speak in tongues, we are personally edified or built up. We're made stronger in God and personally empowered, we're back to that word, that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do beyond what we could normally do uh, without the power of the Holy Spirit. But yes, uh, Pentecostals, charismatic, spirit-empowered believers believe in a subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit, wherever that falls in their soteriology, that after you're saved, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And most of them believe that at that point, you will begin to pray or speak in tongues. I'm glad you gave both the biblical but also the recent history uh, behind this, Billy, because I, I think a lot of people wonder, are Pentecostals and evangelicals related? And so I'm wondering if you can unpack a little bit of the history, like when did Pentecostals and evangelicals sort of come together? Like, is that even the right way to think sure. about it? Sure. Well, you know, early on at the Azusa Street Revival and uh, in, the, in the years immediately following Movements had to make a decision. A lot of Christian movements, especially in the holiness movement, uh, made a decision. Some embraced tongue speech as a reality from God and some, something that was subsequent to being saved. Others rejected that, that they would not go that way. And so there was a division back there, you know, either embraced tongues. Tongues was a dividing marker. Without speaking in tongues, there would be no Azusa Street revival. It was the one thing that really was uh, sort of a center point. 
and then over the years, uh, I think evangelicals per se uh, began to understand that Pentecostals uh, were indeed Christians, uh, and they did love Jesus, and they were following him, and they had the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And so a lot of communication began to happen after that initial division. By the 1940s then, uh, the National Association of Evangelicals, I think, was actually started by a Pentecostal group. And uh, there was a real desire in early uh, Pentecostalism to be accepted by the evangelical community. Uh, that's lessened now. Pentecostals have sort of outgrown evangelicals around the world in many instances. Our Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals, uh, I would say yes and no. Uh, yes and no. I think uh, using evangelicals to define non-Pentecostal charismatics also works in the vernacular of the 21st century. So in that case, it would not be exactly that. And yet we all believe in uh, the preaching of the gospel, the good news uh, that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, that we're justified by faith. So we do embrace those tenets together, but Pentecostals uh, go further than that, okay, and say that not only uh, can you be born again, be saved, but you can experience what they did on the uh, and on the day of Pentecost and throughout the book of Acts, you can experience that now. So there is um, still some division, even though we're together, we're all believers in Jesus, we share great commonality in our faith in Scripture, uh, in our desire to live by grace. Uh, all of those are, are great tenets that we share, and yet there is some difference in that Pentecostals believe in this uh, uh, experience in life, that we experience the power of God in a real way in our world today. And it is a it is a divider somewhat. So our Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelical, I would say yes and no. Is the way <laughs> fair. I no, I think it's I think it's fair. And I, and I think your yeah. uh, your comment, too, about in some ways and Pentecostals, you know, they're they're engaging the world while many times evangelicals are back home arguing about them. So I think that's an important <laughs> distinction. Well, I, I um, didn't say that. You said that. Ed, I did say anyway. that. I did say that. I'm an apologetic <laughs> say that. Um, I, you know, yeah. I can, yeah, we've talked before. I came to Christ in the charismatic movement of the Episcopal Church and, um, and you know, have really, uh, I believe all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real and at work today. And I think in many ways, um, cessationism, which is a very much more common view uh, uh, before, before Azusa Street, it was a much more common view. Um, has really fallen on hard times, whereas I think uh, many, if not most evangelicals, I, I have a survey that I should say, not if not, so most evangelical pastors would actually believe all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real and present today. That probably wouldn't have been the case 100 years ago. That's certainly the fruit of the Pentecostal charismatic and third wave movements, if we use that language. Um, but also, too, the coming together of these things does come together in and around partly what we're talking about in your book, which I think is important. So uh, remember, everyone, that the book was released at Amsterdam 2023, pointing back to Amsterdam 40 years earlier, 83. Um, and one of the key moments in evangel evangelism and Pentecostalism has to do with something that Billy is sort of a successor of, is that in 1966, Billy Graham invited, and Christianity Today actually together held the World Congress on Evangelism in Berlin. Yeah, and that was not a Pentecostal gathering, but Billy Graham, it wasn't a Pentecostal friendly gathering in many ways, but Billy Graham invited Oral Roberts to come and not, not to preach, but to pray and to pray before the meeting. And he really, at that point, people began to say, okay, there's, there's something. Now, again, there were relationships beforehand, but Billy Graham sort of and then Billy Graham would later go speak at Oral Roberts University at the very, you know, the very beginning there and, and where, where Billy serves now. 
so you kind of picked up that. And for me, one of the things that I will say is the Amsterdam gathering was a reminder that Pentecostals are going to focus on reaching the world for Jesus. And again, I, I mentioned this sometimes back home, you know, American evangelicals are arguing about them. So in the power of one, reaching every person on earth, which was your tied into your opening talk as as well. Why, how did this goal kind of get burdened in your heart? How did it relate to Amsterdam 2023? And and how in the world are we going to achieve such a goal? And you because you talk about by Pentecost 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, you know, if you don't mind it, let me diverge just a little bit. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. On the journey. Uh, providentially, I ended up being the executive officer of the Azusa Street Centennial in 2006. I was helping a gentleman who passed away suddenly about nine months before. And so we led the event that celebrated the 100-year anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. It was a grand event, 50,000 people from 114 nations around the world. And out of the event, we ended up with uh, a database uh probably the most uh, unique database ever in history of Pentecostal charismatic leaders with their cell phones, emails, unlike anyone had ever had before. People from all over the movement came back seeing their roots at Azusa Street. Really didn't know what to do with that until about 2007 or 8. The centennial happened in 2006. And we began to realize that, uh, or we felt that God was calling us to focus on the future of the movement. The Azusa Centennial was a wonderful celebration of this fastest growing part of Christianity and the explosion of Pentecostal charismatic expression uh, all over the world. And we reflected, we rejoiced, we thanked God for what he had done, but we realized that the movement, um, spirit-empowered movement, really needed to focus on the future. We had a lot of transitions going on. We had a new generation coming on. How do we help new generations embrace the power of the Holy Spirit? How do we build vocabulary bridges to them so they can understand the work of the Spirit? And we started some discussions around that. We ended up with an event in 2010 here on the campus of ORU before I became president that launched what became Empowered 21. Uh, Empowered 21, 21 meaning 21st century. What does it look like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in the 21st century to help new generations connect with the power of the Holy Spirit in their life? Uh, we did a number of things, and uh, we thought it, we'd just have one event. It would sort of be it, and then it, it exploded on us around the world, and in a matter of just a few years became the largest relational network in Spirit-empowered Christianity's history with 14 different regional teams working on the future of the movement. We ended up with an evangelist alliance, a next-gen network, a scholars uh, consultation, a discipleship commission, uh, on and on and on. We have a new prayer commission. A lot of different things happened out of that. And in 2013, we came together in Hawaii, which was a great place to gather uh, sort of the inspirational oversight group of Empowered 21 that we called a global council. At that time, Pastor Jack Hayford was co-chairing that with me. And so Jack and I called these leaders together in Hawaii and in this particular meeting, we had one central question to answer over about a three-day period of time, and that was, what does God want us to do together, and what would keep this network together? Well, the answer was something bigger than any one group could possibly do themselves. And so over that period of about three days, we hammered out together, and it was quite a gathering of leaders, uh, people like Vincent Sinan, great scholar, Pastor Jack, George Wood, just an amazing group of leaders there. Uh, we hammered out the big vision of Empire 21 that sort of carried us forward since then, and that is that every person on earth 
would have an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit by Pentecost 2033. Now, we don't believe in universalism, but we believe every person on earth deserves an opportunity to know Jesus and have an encounter uh, with the gospel and with the reality of his person. And so we began to pursue that together. It's been an amazing journey for a decade. And then over the years, we decided we needed this evangelist alliance. If we were talking about reaching every person on earth, we needed the evangelist involved. And so we began to form that. We have over 2,000 now evangelists in the Global Evangelist Alliance with Empower 21. And then they began to talk about, hey, we need to do some kind of meeting uh, to talk about the future. How are we going to get this done? So we decided at the 10-year moment before 2033, we would have Amsterdam 2023, uh, and they wanted to go, well, we said we're going to do something in 2023, one decade away from 2033, and the evangelists wanted to go to Amsterdam in memory of what Billy Graham had done in 1983 the first time. He did three gatherings in Amsterdam, and um, and so 40 years exactly, almost to, almost to a week uh, after Billy had that meeting in 1983, we gathered in Amsterdam. We had about, uh, ultimately, about 7,500 people involved in the event from 126 nations around the world. And it was a wonderful, wonderful gathering, very international, but focused on this goal of reaching every person on earth for Jesus Christ by 2033, the 2,000-year anniversary of the resurrection, uh, the, uh, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, uh, the giving of the Great Commission and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we met in 2013, we had a lot of discussion in the room. Should we use 2030? Uh, should it be 2031, 2032? We did a very practical thing. We chose the date furthest away to give us the best chance to go after That's this awesome. big goal to 2033. And so if you get in a theological discussion, is it 2030, 2033? Okay, whatever you want to do. We just practically said, let's go after 2033. But it is becoming the date uh, in God's kingdom when we're going to celebrate the 2,000-year anniversary of Jesus' uh, death on the cross and of the giving of the Great Commission. So in, in Amsterdam, we talked a lot about how do we reach every person on earth? And about two years ago, I was in the mountains and I get away every summer for a week or two. And I was praying about this big audacious goal of Empire 21. And, you know, I said, God, is this a pipe dream? Or we just, you know, are we out on a limb somewhere? Is this crazy, stupid? And, um, and then I finally said, God, how could this ever possibly happen? And in a matter of a day or two, I've really felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me that it would happen one person at a time. And I went through somewhat of a revolution in my heart, Ed, that um, I call the repersonalization of the Great Commission, a new focus on individuals. Now, we've talked about nations. We've talked about ta-ethne. We've talked about uh, people groups around the world. But what I really felt the Holy Spirit leading us to was a new focus on individuals. You know, Gen Z is the most individualistic generation in history. We're coming out of a pandemic and people need to be seen and heard. And I really felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, if we would focus on reaching one person at a time, ultimately we could reach everyone. And so this book, The Power of One, goes into that thinking uh, and how Jesus many times in his ministry he, he reached the masses, but he, he launched new initiatives to new people groups 
by reaching one, the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria, the demoniac in Gadara opens up the Decapolis to him and on and on. In the New Testament, the same, you know, Philip's called from the revival of Samaria into the desert uh, to minister to an Ethiopian eunuch, which opens up Africa. Paul leaves, uh, you know, Asia Minor and goes into Europe because of the call of one man, a Macedonian man saying, come over and help us. And so I think we've, we've made a mistake sometimes by focusing on the masses when God is saying, focus on one at a time and I'll help you reach everyone. So what happened in my heart in the mountains and has been happening since that time is the Holy Spirit has just really worked me over to see people the way God is seeing them and to bring the good news to individuals. They asked me recently, somebody asked me, what's been the highlight of your year? And of course, we had Amsterdam. It was a great event, wonderfully successful in getting the word out about reaching everyone. And I've had wonderful things at the university. In fact, we've, we've just, uh, uh, we'll have census next week, but 15 years of consecutive enrollment growth. We have the largest freshman class in the history of ORU this year and the largest incoming class ever in our history. Lots of great things happening. We're building four new buildings on campus. But the highlight of my year, when I really boiled it down, was a moment that happened to me in China in May. I was in China. I was visiting some three self-churches. I was speaking to leaders. They were studying me. I was studying them. And we had a group of students that were, were literally studying us and writing papers about us, et cetera. And they would sit on the edge of their seat listening to me speak at times. And one young lady was really intrigued. And so right before we left, we were in the we were in a train station in a city there in China, in Hunan province. And... Um, I started talking to her and I said, you know, could we pray for you? And she said, yes. And after we prayed for her, I thought, you know, I, I can't let it go yet. And so I said, can I talk to you for just a moment? So I want you to sit down here. And so we sat down and I, I did, she understood enough English. I could do the ABCs of the gospel, ask, believe, and confess. And she gave her life to Jesus. It was a wonderful moment. Yeah. She was in tears and she's doing wonderfully well serving the Lord. She's found some groups of Christians and she's serving God. So when they asked me, what was your highlight of the year? I went to that moment because in that moment, I reached one person personally that I believe is going to make a huge difference for God. When we reach one we never know how many we're going to reach. You know, if you track back the history of Billy Graham, and Ned, you've studied this for years and years, you'll find it all starts with a, a, a shoe clerk uh, named D.L. Moody who gets saved because a Sunday school teacher witnesses to him. And then if you follow it all the way through, you know, from D.L. Moody, it goes, Billy Sunday gets involved. Uh, the group in Charlotte gets involved. They invite Mordecai Ham to town. And a young man named Billy Graham walks the sawdust and gives his life to Jesus, and millions of people are reached for Jesus Christ because one person was reached. And so mm. when we reach one person for Jesus, heaven rejoices, but the potential of that life is unlocked on the earth. So I believe 8 billion is possible, 8 billion people to hear the good news is possible if we'll focus on individuals and focus on the one, God will help us reach everyone. That's what the book, The Power of One, is all about. That's that's great. I love that you're also giving us a history lesson of uh, uh, evangelism. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. And a part of this, I think, um, Billy, uh, for for a lot of our listeners uh, who don't come from Pentecostal backgrounds, sure. you know, they're they're reimagining what does world evangelization look like for them. And it's not going to be as easy as like what we stole from the Pentecostals raising our hands during worship and those kinds of things. 
Um, a part of us feels like, could we steal the fervor that Pentecostals have for global evangel- uh, evangelization? So can you speak to that? As somebody who is outside the Pentecostal yeah. tradition, but they want to re-engage in global missions and evangelism, like what are some things that you can impart to yeah. them to, to reinvigorate well, I don't know. Their this is not going to be overly popular, but this is what I really believe with all of my heart. Evangelical Christians, Pentecostals, Charismatics, all of us in the kingdom of God need to stop doing so many dumb peripheral things. Come and on. we need to get back on the main thing, which is sharing the good news of Jesus with people that are lost. The greatest injustice, I believe, in our generation, you know, we're all about solving injustice. The greatest injustice is we've got the money, we've got the manpower, we've got the technology to share Jesus Christ with every person on earth. And yet there are millions of people who have not heard. So why don't we all get together and give ourselves to solving that injustice and focus on the main thing? You know, you'd be surprised how unified we are when we really focus on the main thing. We had Ed with us in Amsterdam. We had, uh, you know, we had Rick Warren with us, several other evangelical right. leaders. Samaritan's Purse was there. Luis Palau's organization was there. All of us common united together saying the world needs the good news of Jesus in our generation. Please, I beg you, you that are watching this podcast, quit doing so much stupid stuff and focus (laughs) on getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. If we do that, we can reach every person in our generation. You know, my dream is that in 2033, we will have experienced, I mean, from 2023 to 2033, that we will be part of the greatest decade of Great Commission effort in human history. And maybe, maybe in 2033, we can lay at the feet of our Savior, celebrating His 2,000-year anniversary of His giving His life on the cross, the greatest effort at Great Commission, uh, fulfilling the Great Commission ever in history. And maybe, 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 we could have reached every person on earth with this good news so that they have a chance to know the Jesus that you and I know. I'm sorry for using the word stupid. That wasn't too uh, educational for a college president. But I want to say we we give ourselves to so much junk. And then we try to connect it and say, oh, yeah, we're fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, I'm sorry, but not really. We need to get past all of this peripheral stuff and get back to the main thing of sharing the gospel with people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. If we'll do that, we'll find God's favor. And I'll say to all of my evangelical friends, you'll find God's fervor as well. The Holy Spirit is in this. He wants people to know about Jesus. He is the greatest evangelist. And if we'll join him, we'll find great energy and great unity. The thing that can turn the evangelical church around is a new focus on the Great Commission. I mean, really focusing on the Great Commission and really sharing the gospel with the world. That can turn the evangelical church around. A lot of the stuff that's being tried is not going to turn the evangelical church around, but that can, and we can find the favor of God together. Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals joining hands even Catholics joining hands to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Okay. So, um, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're hard to preach about, so much, but anyway, you got me fired up right there. Well, there's about 50 follow-up <laughs> questions there, but we are, we don't have that much time for all the follow-up questions because yep. there are theological questions that flow out of that and more, but let's go back sure. to the book, the power of one reaching every person on earth. Yep. 
Uh, you write in there, I'm quoting, I believe God is calling today's church to reprioritize the Great Commission and once again focus on individual people, unquote. So how do you reprioritize to focus individually? Is that like individuals taking up the task? Or in your case, you talked about that young lady you shared the gospel yeah. with in China, yeah. individually sharing with them. Help us unpack that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think, it. you know, this repersonalizing of the Great Commission, I think getting a heart for people again. Um we get, you know, we get caught up. I mean, I pastored for several years. You know, we want to grow our churches. We want to have good programs. Uh, we want everybody to be discipled and grow up in Jesus and all of those good things. They're all great things. I believe in that. I believe, of course, in making disciples. Obviously, one of the best ways to make disciples is to turn them on to sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And there you'll find them praying, seeking God, reading the scripture and all kinds of stuff to answer the questions that they're getting. But I think a, a refocus of the church on people, on reaching people for Jesus Christ. Where are the most people in the world who have not heard, who have not had an opportunity? And then where are the people in our community? I think one place to start is, is everyone in our community had an opportunity to know Jesus? Has everyone in Los Angeles had an opportunity to know Jesus? Has everyone in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma had an opportunity to know Jesus? Starting with our community and then beyond that, looking at a world of 8 billion people, many of whom have never really heard the gospel. How do we get at that? And finding ways to do that together, very exciting and a lot of energy in it. But uh, I do think it's possible in our day but I think we're going to have to come back to the simple truth that the Great Commission, you know, there's four views, of, at least, of the Great Commission in the New Testament. Uh, we usually use the one in Matthew. Uh, Luke has one, you know, uh, repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in all the world. And then, of course, over in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power, you'll become witnesses. Uh, John's is much more an incarnational kind of uh, view you know, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you, receive the Holy Spirit. He sends us into the world like Jesus is in the world. Mark's view, a little different, is that uh, we should preach the good news to each and every one, some translations say, to each and every one on the earth, to bring the good news to each and every one. I think when you put them all together, we find ourselves in a world where we should focus on people and bring the gospel of Jesus to individuals all over the world, giving every person a realistic chance to know him. Billy, I want to talk about what you find unique in this moment, because you write in the book, I firmly believe we are poised at the precipice of the most remarkable surge of evangelism ever witnessed in human history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it about now? I mean, what do you yeah. see that you think there's something well, unique? you know, I mean, it's a bit of an eschatological type journey, to be honest. I, I believe we are what biblical could be considered the last days. We're in those days. I, I, I talk in the book quite a bit about the trauma and drama of these days. Then in the middle of this drama and trauma uh, that Jesus talks about in, in Matthew 24, I mean, all kinds of stuff. He says, you know, there's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be deception going on. There's going to be problems in society. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. And in the middle of that, people are going to fall away from the faith. Many, you know, many's love is going to wax cold. People are going to get cold. There's going to be religious departure. The church is not going to do so well at times. But then he says in verse 14 of Matthew 24, uh, and, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness, and then the end shall come. 
So here you are in this drama and trauma, this unfolding drama of history that we live in, and we're in it right now, especially in the United States, but all over the world. It's in this kind of scenario that the gospel of the kingdom is going to go to the ends of the earth, and I believe to every person on earth. So I believe coming out of the pandemic, we're in a world that's hungry. We're in a world that has faced its mortality in a way that perhaps no other generation has faced it. We have a Generation Z coming on that's passionate about God. I'm, I'm with a bunch of them on campus. I'm in a living laboratory. This is the most exciting generation in the history of the world. And if we get them turned on to mission and to world evangelization, they're going to turn the world upside down. So I think we're poised with the drama and trauma around us, with the fulfillment of scripture that we find ourselves in, the day we find ourselves in, to uh, to see the greatest moment of evangelization ever in the history of the world. I believe these these can be greater moments than the beginnings of world missions. I believe they can be greater moments than anything that happened in the 20, 20th century, and that's a big statement. But we got to wake up and we got to get back to God's priority and his heart. He's willing to leave 99 of us to go find one, and we need to be willing to do the same. You know, when I, when I hang around you, I, I tend to be encouraged. Uh, Amsterdam was encouraging. I was great. I mean, preaching at chapel at ORU was great. I was just, we just had a faculty meeting here and I had uh, one of our faculty, Eric Tonis, get up and talk about, you know, they were doing summer sabbatical reports. He talked about speaking around the country and seeing young people come to faith in Christ. I love that a faculty meeting report includes that. But Billy, the reality is, is evangelism's fallen on hard times, at least in the West, less so in the rest of the world. We know that we've seen it globally. So kind of as we close, last question, you know, most our audience is listening in English. Most of them are going to be in the Western world where they see a real lull in evangelism. They might look back to past years and say, man, people were on fire for evangelism there. Even Pentecostalism has slowed in its growth in the West. Um, so talk to us about what your exhortation would be to our pastors and church leaders to engage this evangelistic task, this yeah. to seize this power of one. Yeah, I think, Ed, we, we, we've got to sort of wake up to this moment. Uh, we have an amazing opportunity. You know, one of my prayers has been that, and I think it's happening to a certain extent, God would use 2033 as a galvanizing possibility. And we capture the imagination of the church of what could we do in this decade together. It's just a date on the calendar. I know that. But at the same time, I'm praying it will capture the imagination of the people of God to say, look, we got a big task to do. We're getting ready to celebrate 2,000 years since the cross. We've got to refocus on evangelism. And so I would really plead with pastors, leaders around the world, take some time in prayer and ask God to renew your heart for people that need Jesus, that need the gospel. I believe we're going to see a resurgence. I believe this generation, Generation Z, is going to lead that resurgence. And I believe we're probably going to see a fourth wave, to be honest, uh, you know, Ed, of, of a work of the Holy Spirit in this new generation. I think we're right on the edge of it. I, I've been amazed at what I'm seeing God do, even at ORU, with this new generation. So it's a very exciting time. Uh, and I believe the Holy Spirit is going before us. And again, coming out of the pandemic, the world is ready. The church, you're saying, is not so ready. I agree with that in some respects. And so I'm trying to wake the church up and wrote a book and uh, doing conferences and anything else I can to say, this is our moment. Let's not miss it by being swamped by the culture, by the stuff around us, by politics. Get off of that stuff. And let's get back on 
the gospel and the good news of Jesus and what it can do for our world and especially for individual people that God wants in heaven with him throughout eternity. Yeah, let me, let me mention too, if uh, I guess it's okay, it's it's my podcast, so I guess I can do this, that by the time this episode comes out too, we'll have a brand new evangelism curriculum that's coming out in partnership with Glue, used by good. a lot of us engaged in He Gets Us. It's called the Evangelism Masterclass. Uh, yeah. If you go to hegetsuspartners.com, you can find that there. All kinds of resources. I, I'm a, I endorsed uh, Billy's book. I'm really thankful for it, and I'm thankful for the exhortation he's given I us. I probably today. need to show a copy of it. Oh, there please go is. ahead. Well, they can't see it. It's Most people listen, but he's holding yeah. up a copy of the book right now. Hold up a copy of, of the book. You can find it several places. Empowered21.com is probably the most easy way to remember. Empowered21.com or Bill, Dr. Billy Wilson Books, uh, com as well. So please get it. It's on Amazon as well, The Power of One. We've been talking to Dr. Billy Wilson. Be sure to check out his new book, The Power of One, Reaching Every Person on Earth. You can learn more about Billy at drbillywilsonbooks.com. And thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content from ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, leave us a review. that help other ministry leaders benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.